0: Fashion Lab Africa. Real conversations, real fashion.
1: Salam, Jumbo Fabsters, and welcome to Fashion Lab again. This is where we dissect the business behind fashion to develop our creative economy. My name is Liz Ogumba Regisford, your host, and thank you for tuning in once again. Now, today we are back by fashion demand or by whatever you call it. I want to call it East African fashion demand to dissect the topic around the currency chew when it comes to the East of Africa and obviously with a specific focus um, on Kenya. Uh, again, just because you asked or if you didn't ask <laughs> where I'm from. <laughs> now, at an estimated population of 52.57 million, which ranks 27th in the world, with an estimated growth rate at 2.5 annually since 2017, Kenya is a country in East Africa with a coastline on the Indian Ocean. Um, it encompasses savannah, Lakelands, the dramatic Great Rift Valley, mountain highlands, Uh, I'm sure for those of you who don't know, know it's also home to safari. People say South Africa safari. I'm like, listen, let me take you to Kenya. Safari, some of the baddest beaches as well and so much more. Uh, Now, Kenya is 67th largest economy in the world. And uh, by GDP, we would convert that to $89,591 US Mm million. 67, not bad. Anyway, I want to just move over to... The textile and garment industry, which also presents a unique opportunity for countries that are seeking to sort of pursue industrialization, um, I think this is also definitely a big role that it plays when it comes to diversifying the economy. And I think that if this is actually geared towards exports, it would be a great source of foreign exchange. Ethiopia is actually a great example when, it, with a target um, to sort of generate 30 billion dollars in exports from the textile and apparel sector by 2013 considering the fact that the government has been building industrial parks uh, to sort of enhance the textile investments and productivity of the country and I'm hoping that these people are going to do something about that $26 a month. Who lives on $26 a month? Guys, if you're creating and sort of developing this economy, how are we going to do that? You cannot develop the economy by building parks and forget about the people. We have to be conscious, guys. We have to be conscious. We have to be Um, ethical when it comes to how we play. Um, Moving more towards this conversation According to an article by TDS blog around its incredible economic potential, Kenya also has a great potential to sort of serve that global, domestic and regional markets um, from its pool of fashion designers and small tailors. Now, the textile and clothing sector has also been identified in Kenya's Vision 2030 as a pathway to industrialization because it possesses incredible economic potential. Guys, I'm going to be unpacking this step by step by some really speci- with some really special guests who are going to be joining us on the show Uh, We've got a lot to pack and to unpack, but if you're tuned in for the first time, stay tuned to catch up with our wine style guide. This is where we touch base with everything stylish about wine and style, which sort of go hand in hand. Lastly, a quick reminder for you to look at for my favorite segment of the show. It's called Who Would You want to dress and why that's a segment we use to sort of unwind after our heavy conversations keep your tweets coming we're on fashion lab af on twitter we're on fashion lab africa on instagram and facebook and i care about your thoughts if nobody else i don't know if edgy does or who does but i care about your thoughts i want to hear from you um all right guys <laughs> so allow me to introduce our special guests on today's show we're joined by a reader, writer, passionate about Africa, storytelling about Africa and creating strong business in Africa. This is the founder of TDS, which uh, stands for the Dead Designers Studio. And this is built to promote the local fashion industry, rebrand the country, encourage the importance of supporting local and growing our economies. This is Wanjiko Nyoike Mugo. Welcome to the show, madam. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. <laughs> <It's> a pleasure. <laughs> uh, and uh, before I, I know you think you're exempt. No one is exempt uh, from this. Normally on this show, who are you wearing and who made your clothes? Before we move on, uh,
2: let's say that I'm wearing a dress by Galina Katerinova. Um, it's actually just a like a, a chilled leisure dress, free, uh, awesome. awesome.
1: And on your footwear, or are you barefoot? It depends, I'm barefoot. really. So I'm okay, busy. that's good. Are you are, are you connecting? Are you getting grounded? Yeah, <laughs> connecting I'm with the art. Grounded so that we can have a strong conversation, no distractions Very. whatsoever. <laughs> oh my word, girl! You are so welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Now we're also joined by another special guest. Um, she's a journalist, uh, a journalism profession professional with expertise in both editorial content and editorial fashion. She's been a fashion correspondent for the designer's studio for three years and has also covered stories on fashion and design in Kenya and the continent. She's edgy, she's fashionable in her own true way, reflecting her creativity and free spirit, not to mention her love for the quirky things from time to time. Hmm. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Natalie, who are you wearing and who made your clothes before we continue? Uh, No one's exempt to this one.
3: I'm wearing a simple ship dress made from Kanga fabric, uh, made by a neighborhood tailor called Ezekiel. Um, And I love to accessorize with brass uh, rings, which I buy from an artisan based in the Maasai market called Kelly. Uh, And a simple bone chain, which also has brass.
1: Okay. Well thank you for joining us. Um, for those of you who are tuned in, um, TDS, the designer studio is inspired to create accessibility and knowledge of the Kenyan fashion brands um, and I think that it's really cool. One of the other really cool things I want to tell you again is I also stalk at the designer studio at the Two Rivers Mall in Nairobi and I think that for me uh, I really had, yes, I had a very good connection with you and jiko and I, I you know and i don't know we're going to talk about it as we continue the show is going on and we're just only beginning but there's a when we synergize in this industry um one of the things i want to remind people it's not about it's not about who's got the most followers it's not about who's the most popular it's about what's realistic and 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 what the synergy is and the vibrations i'm really like seriously i want the vibrations are real the synergy is fresh It's real and I feel comfortable and I feel like I'm at home and I feel like, yes. Then you take, you make these decisions and figure out where to stock. Otherwise, (sighs) story for another day, but let me go back into our topic. So we are talking today around um, the current situation. Uh, We're definitely uh, focusing on um, Kenya, but we really want to talk East Africa. And I think that these conversations are important because then we get um, insights. Whether you're a manufacturer who's looking to... Uh, maybe expand into that region or maybe you're a brand who's looking to expand into that region or you just want to know and understand what's happening when it comes to uh, the development of this economy. We are playing in a, a three, $2.4 trillion um, industry in this continent, and I mean in this world, and we only, Africa only has a little piece of this pie, and that is why this is my social responsibility. We do this every Tuesday uh, between 7 and 9 uh, p.m. right here at Massive Metro, and we make sure that we have this conversation so that we can uh, maybe hopefully start smiling to the bank more. There's got to be something that, be, something has gotta happen right guys <laughs> something's gotta happen if we keep doing this so i want to just go straight um into this conversations guys and i want to talk about it from the beginning now uh, wanjika let's just start with you why not a cake shop or a spa what role do, would you say tds no seriously there's so many things to do in this world so what would you say tds what role would you say tds is fulfilling within this fashion value chain
2: well, uh, first of all, thank you for having us and for sharing about TDS. This is a great platform, so too many more conversations. Um, but the reason why I started TDS is because I, after traveling and seeing South Africa and the, and the different creative industries on the continent, I realized back at home there was no, there was not a place that we could call our own, that we can actually go and Say, this is our shop these are our designers. This, this is what we can buy over and above let me bring you something from kenya and then you bring a you know a tasca t-shirt or a maasai blanket for <laughs> the maasai necklace and that's the extent of, like the offering so having this shop is an opportunity to to get people to come to kenya and even for kenyans themselves to wear the local brands and to see that it's good quality that we're not it's not just ah, i can Get my tailor to do the same thing. Like this is high-end uh, quality products that are ready to wear, and also for tourists who come into the country, you can get something that you can add to your wardrobe that doesn't scream tourist souvenir. Buy here. Um, so having the shop gives like for now we have 22 designers in the shop, and being able to have customers come in and buy from them is a way for them to to expand their uh, businesses and to make money from what they do, which is great um instead of competing with with the influx of like mass market things and Chinese products and this is a way for them to to make money um and to grow their businesses as well as contributing out to the economy because now you make money in the country or you bring it from your country and then you plug it back into the country so that, constant role effect will will contribute to the economy eventually because fashion i mean we all wear clothes we're never naked so
1: mm, it's very true mm. Uh, now I wanna, I would, I would like, I'm curious, and I'm sure maybe our listeners are too. I'm curious to know, um, you know, as we play in this continent, which I find really hard when it comes to looking and researching and finding the right information, um, that's really up to date constantly. How do you actually get your information? You're based in Nairobi, but you still tell stories from over the, all over the continent, and I think that it's quite precise. How do you get this information in the best and the most accurate way possible?
3: I first, before I do any story, it usually starts with a deep dive into um, research. So, um, there's reading past articles, um, going through um, websites that have featured them before, and even going through their social media uh, pages and websites just to kind of understand somebody in a uh, well-rounded way and then of course then speaking to them directly to get their side of the story as well
1: thank you natalie i'm also curious um how or let's just say why are you not i don't know maybe why are you are not in law or why are you not doing something else why are you not in the farm what is it about uh the conversations what is it about um being able to uh tell these stories that's really um important to you why do you do this
3: Um, I would not do very well in a law firm, Uh, believe it or not, I'm not much of a talker, uh, but I'm a very good listener and I am curious by nature as well. So I'm intrigued by people's stories um, and I think it's important to share um, different stories uh, and different conversations.
1: Where do you see the future of African fashion? First of all, for Kenyan, the Kenyan fashion industry in itself. Secondly, for the continent, when it comes to every aspect of it, from trading to um, expanding as businesses, um, to being able to also um, take over when it comes to the digital world, where do you see us going?
3: I think I'd like to answer that question, um, stating what I hope will be the future, um, that Kenya will have a, like, um, let's say, a fashion council, if you will, um, where the, there's a body that actually speaks for the ideas and rights of designers and actually helps to groom the next generation of designers um, and actually having conversations with each other. So it's an industry moving forward together instead of just clicks um, trying to. alone uh, that we are able to preserve traditions um, for example um, indigenous textiles like the mud cloth uh, and finding new ways of saving it and incorporating it into fashion that we can share these cultures from the continent with each other instead of always just looking west or east to get um, resources um, that we start making our own materials um, and we're able to use our resources and work with each other around the continent and really just promote ourselves and our ideas and that we we see a future where you can actually be wearing um, African made um, clothes that are affordable uh, and can it it won't be it doesn't have to always be a statement piece it can be the day-to-day clothes Uh, I mean I would love my wardrobe to be a hundred percent African made because there's so many creative ideas and um, the only problem is how it can be so expensive because of all the costs that come into making a product from scratch. Uh, yeah.
1: Thank you, Natalie. Any parting shots? And how
3: can our listeners also connect with you? I'm... parting shot. I'm honoured that uh, Wanjiko has given me a platform to um, write, uh, to research, to... Appreciate so much of the hard work that uh, people and designers are doing. Um, that I'm you know I'm just honored that I'm able to really uh, to hear amazing stories uh, and talk to amazing people who I would never have had the opportunity to speak to. Uh, so I feel, again, very honored. Um, if you want to find me, the best place is the blog. Uh, so you can just leave a comment on any story and definitely be able to get back to you.
1: I really love the blog. I actually follow it and what's funny or what it's not funny, it's actually real, what happens is when I was looking and trying to research on this topic myself, I actually got a lot of information from your blog, from the designer studio, uh, the tdsblog.com, for those who are wondering what it is. And I think it's very informative. It's very strong. So congratulations. I think you guys are doing a great job. and. Uh it's great to see what you're doing and we hope that we can be able to influence a lot more, uh, you know, maybe just share that influence a lot more across the uh, continent or diaspora. I think it's beautiful. Um, now, I'm curious, yes, I'm curious, um, coming back to you, Wanjiko, you, you guys, you, you sort of talk about how you know how we as Kenyans change the narrative that you know Kenya made might be low quality or might be cheap. Let's unpack this a bit. Like, who said that? Who is that still going on? Is that? Is that I know that obviously when you guys set up, you wanted to also make a statement, you wanted to also um, sort of change mindsets around all of these different ideas of what Kenyan fashion is or could have been deemed by then, and, and maybe also just influence the change around that. What is it when, who said, who said, let's talk about this low quality, cheap Kenyan?
2: Wow, pieces. It, 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 yeah,
1: it, it, it comes from far. Um, so there's many
2: levels. There's the historical end of it. We used to have a textile industry. In fact, River Texas has come back to life. Um, what? It, uh, it, yeah, it, it's come back to life. The government has, has added, funded it, you know, $5 billion for it to come back and, and, and encourage manufacturing. But it used to be big back then. But then with the... Um, unfortunately, after we stopped taking care of our local manufacturing and bringing in all this stuff, from China and other, you know, cheaper products, then the textile industry locally suffered. So people weren't making great things, right? So that's one one level. So most people started buying things that were foreign instead of buying something that was local because, of course, we we kind of killed our local manufacturing industry to some extent. But
1: but when you um, could, just to just to just to sorry, just to just to cut you short there. buying local buying foreign but cheap foreign cheaper than what we, we would do i mean it's cheap and nasty no isn't it the leftovers uh some no some yes but some not really some are actually just important because
2: it's much cheaper to bring it into the country but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad it's just that it's much cheaper than what somebody in the country who's buying material and has been forced to buy the material in small amounts from another country and bring it in and pay taxes, and then now they have to produce it locally. By the time they produce that garment, it's not going to be the same as a mass-produced white shirt that has been made in a factory and they've made ten million and sent it across the world.
1: So you mean cheap, uh, cheap? So are we talking cheap in 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 in, uh, in 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 cost, not in not in quality,
2: price point? There was also, of course, the this the this- ones that came. Gave- that from Mitumba, right? So there was also the second hand market that grew. And those are the ones now that were not exactly the best quality.
1: But what about the yeah? But what about the Jomia, Is it not Jomia? What is this mall place called? Okay, let me not even start there. There's like all of these informal malls. I know, like I'm just pathetic uh-huh. at this. There's those little places where every time I come to Nairobi and I see them, and they, it's it's some become something that's really growing. So you know how like in Isili, an area called Isili, there was like um a lot of um. I would say that stuff either came from China or from Dubai, I don't know where the stuff came from, but quality-wise it was cheap, very cheap. Yeah. But yeah. for a person, yes, but for a person or the regular or average consumer who wants to consume, uh, and obviously there's different priorities and you have to look at your pocket and you have to look at your whole financial plan on a month-to-month basis, These people would sell like a dress for, say what, maybe 3,000 shillings or Mm 4,000. Then you would look at the other option, which is your tumba, which is used clothing. And that would be probably, you could get stuff for 3,000. You probably get five things, five pieces, maybe. Used clothing, but used clothing is probably, or I'm I'm assuming is probably better quality than your cheap drop. Am I not right? Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, no, you're
2: right, to a certain extent. And I think because there's a blend. So in the past, when the mass market items came in, there were mass market and then there was the second-hand clothing. So, of course, the second-hand market, it was much cheaper. It's not the best quality, but it's much cheaper and people would buy that. But now you can find that there's, um you have a blend. You have international companies that are bringing in mass-produced items. And so you go find, like, a, a T-shirt or... Or, or or like a dress for like a thousand bob in a mall and then some of them you can find a dress for like three thousand but you can still go to what used to be the the mitumba's equivalents but you can still find new clothes there that cost
1: less i'm surprised i'm surprised yeah and i'm just saying i'm surprised that we're still on that level where, I mean, it's I feel like it's common sense, but we can assume it is. Common sense is also common, right? Um, I'm assuming that, you know, he, I, I just know that in the Western world, in, in, like in a lot of places, people know that if you have to get something customized for you, you're going to be paying top backs. It's not a joke. It's not, a, it's not even a question. And people, it's a, it's a privilege. It's an honor. And that's why when people say, uh, in Africa, it's very interesting when people say, oh my gosh, everybody have tailors. And, and, and they're like, my gosh, you guys must have a lot of money. Because the perception of having something customized and it 's true, something that 's customized for you has a very big fat price tag to it it 's just that i don 't know how people still think that you know going to the mall is is more expensive than you know ordering from the tailor down the street or from a brand or whatever but i want to I want to move to you natalie let 's talk about the textile um, and clothing GDP. I was looking at your article again around the currency chew and the fact that you guys mentioned based on this report that was just released i don't know how long ago this report was released but the gdp is at 0.6 percent and what is what i want us to talk about is considering the gdp at 0.6 percent and on the flip side you've got 22 large foreign owned companies and operating in the epz 170 medium and large companies eight greeneries, eight spinners, 15 weaving and knitting companies, nine accessory manufacturers, over 75,000 micro and small companies, including fashion designers and tailoring units. I'm just, I just want us to look and to sort of see 0.6% GDP on the textile and clothing industry. When you have 20, like, what is the EPZ? Is the EPZ not producing locally for locals yet? There has nothing changed around that? Because there's so much production happen okay.
2: Yeah, because this report is from twenty sixteen. Oh, okay. uh, This is twenty sixteen. Right. Yeah. But it's it's still relevant because these are these are some of the things that the government is still so concerned about. Um in terms of their agenda for manufacturing. So these are the that's why now River Texas has come back into being. And EPZ um also produces locally but i don't think that it's as easy to do so but i you know don't quote me on it um but i know that there was i remember there was information about the epz now wanting to produce to provide spaces for people to produce locally but it's not quite there yet um so there are changes that are taking place of course with river tech coming back to life that's a great thing but it's it's still a work in progress
1: yeah, I personally when you think that it's um it's really it's really unfortunate. You know, how long has the EPZ has been set in the country for how long now? I mean it's been it's been so long. And I find that the fact that, you know, the 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 EPZ and what it does should be able to match the GDP honestly when it comes to clothing and textiles in Kenya or in East Africa because this is actually this EPZ is actually we're talking East Africa. Because if it doesn't, but they're constantly pulling out i don 't know how much these people are rolling out in a month, but I know that they are pushing hard, and I know that they're representing some of the biggest brands, and I know that the brands are selling, and I find it very strange that up to now there's nothing or there's no call there's no something could have been formed or some sort of agreement that allows the local brands or the local whoever it is that needs that service needs to be able to access it because of the fact that epz is based in east africa why would you why would they be a hundred percent um production for a hundred percent foreign when they're based in the area where everybody else needs to everybody can needs access anyway is it am i tripping or is it does it make sense no. it makes sense because of
2: course it, it's You'd imagine that the manufacturing should be mostly for internal use and for internal manufacturing, rather than a focus on exporting. But mm-hmm. you must also understand, if you said has been there for for a long, long time, and it's export processing zone, so it's focused on exporting um, items from the country and you know out. So it's. It's not just with EPZ giving a space for local designers to produce. I don't think that's going to be the only solution to building the industry. I think it's one of it. But the other reasons why it's it's challenging locally to produce and to distribute and all of that is because most designers who produce locally don't have access to huge manufacturing plants. So if you're manufacturing your brand, you probably do it from an office or an office that you've made on your own, you hire your own people, you find your own tailors, you literally start from, like, the ground whereas um, maybe in other countries it might be and of course you can go and produce in China and Mauritius and all these other places, but those ones cater to now huge companies with lots of capital, but if you're starting out most designers just design at home because there's no access to manufacturing that you do it
1: on your own. Yeah, but you know, for me, when my question also, or my concern becomes, if you're doing, people are still doing these things at home, how are we going to get to the level of competing on a global level? Because fashion is a business at the end of the day. And, you know, when you look at the export processing zone or whatever it is, I don't know which factories or which big factories you guys have in Kenya right now. I know that I'm sure there are because I can see there's an emergence or ascendance of brands uh, more than ever, so I'm sure there's gotta be somebody's doing the work somewhere, and there's a bit of order. So I'm, um, I'm assuming that the, there's a better setup when it comes to um, manufacturing or CMTs or whatever it is that people are using to produce their pieces. But I just believe that if we don't have, um, if we don't have set up, if we don't have something that's set up or some coalition or some plan. We're going to choose, people are just going to be making clothes in their bedroom or making clothes, <laughs> yeah. making 10 pieces of clothes. Is that really, does that really put us on that competitive edge that we say we want to be in? Does it?
2: Wow. There's so many levels to that because yes, there's the the, the element of manufacturing. And of course, it's great that a lot more people are starting to get into the fashion industry. Um, now, in terms of designers, there are more designers that are coming up and, and, and designing clothes, but it's also because there's an increase, there needs to be an increase in, in materials locally, because also mm-hmm. getting the materials into the country, if they're highly taxed, it makes them very expensive and very restrictive. So that means that very few people, um, if you don't have the money, then it's difficult to actually produce what you would want. So it's, it's not just having the manufacturing section I think it's accessibility of the raw materials and accessibility of the machines and and even just the tools and the items so you'll have a designer create a collection and then you'll say cool repeat it and then they'll be like well I can't because the material is done and getting it back is such a mission right so if we had not just the manufacturing but a push from I don't know if it's the government or just You know, um, private companies doing so, bringing in the items, the raw materials to make it easier for designers. If you're going to make something, you don't have to go and look high and low and, you know, swim five miles to go and find the right material and the right tailor to do the right job, to be part of your team and to do the right work. It's just that those are the, all those elements make it difficult or add to the difficulty and the challenge of producing consistently because there's always one reason or another over and yeah, about uh, access to the manufacturing plant.
1: For those who are tuned in, we are talking because you have to talk about these things, you have to dissect them, you have to open them up and sort of figure out what is it, what else can be done differently to get different results because otherwise we're just going to be sitting in the same pool going round and round and round in circles. Now, for those who are wondering what the export the EPZ or the export processing zone, that is actually a customs area where one is allowed to import plant machinery equipment for uh, sort of uh, uh, manufacturing or for export goods under a certain security without paying duty um I think that the conversation around free trade zone is a big conversation we need to have. And I think that um, as soon as we can, we'll also probably get some experts on this show and really open that up so that people can understand what else is available out there to be able to help them focus on expanding when it comes to trade. I'm not sure, but I think and I assume that the Ministry of Trade is actually the ones who uh, should be in charge of the export processing zones. Meaning that, I don't know if it's, yeah, okay, good. It is, the Ministry
2: of Industry, Trade, and something, cooperatives
1: Yeah, so what I was going to say to you, Wanjiko, you've also been here, you've lived in South Africa, but you've also lived in Kenya. Is there an equivalent of a DTI in Kenya today?
2: DTI? That would
1: be able to support, yeah. Do you remember the Department of Trade here where, A a department that's able to support the creative economy, whether it's fashion, whether it's arts, contemporary art or whatever, whether it's music, whether it's but whether it's fashion. So, you know how like here the DTI in South Africa are big on that. So you find that a lot of um, brands, if you say we're talking fashion, a lot of brands are able to expand themselves and stretch themselves by, you know, whatever it is that they get out of the DTI. So the DTI will support them. So it means if you have five trade shows, for example, and you're a fashion designer, you can talk to the T- DTI about it and they can help and set it up. I mean, you can set it up, but they can all, all they do is just facilitate, make sure you get there, maybe airfare, maybe accommodation, whatever it is that you need to be able to make sure that you're stretching yourself um, and you're opening up your brand, you know? So is there an equivalent? To that in kenya that you might know of or is is everybody From just like doing yes like a um, department of trade and industry so there are a couple
2: um that are now picking up and and you know trying to support local designers um there is the ministry of industrialization i know their greatest focus though is the leather industry so they have supported mm-hmm. a lot of um leather companies to either go okay. and be part of a trade expo or something in the States or somewhere else, and they go with them. So I've seen that happen. So I know that they support and they're really big on leather. There's Brand Kenya as well and the Ministry of Tourism. Together, they also promote quite a lot of, well, they try at least to promote quite a lot of the the Kenyan fashion industry. But from the government perspective, I think they don't really... Um, Phrased it as like the fashion industry they kind of talk about it from either uh, a leather um, the leather industry or the manufacturing side industry or the textile industry so that's how they 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 couch it so i think if you're a designer you should still try and talk to them about it and see if you can plug it into any um, activities that they have but it's not it's not like a It's not in such a huge way that anyone can just go and be like, listen, I'm a designer, hook me up. Um, there's still, we're still growing. Because, an example, recently the government, um, made a directive and they said that on Fridays, like today, civil Mm -hmm. servants are supposed to be wearing made in Kenya outfits. And this was done, I think, by the president. (laughs) Wow. True, it's true. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. And it was, it was done during, I think, a Mashuja day which was just the other day around October, October 20th. Um, And they said the government was ordering all civil servants you're supposed to wear made in Kenya. And it's like made in Kenya on Fridays. So at least that's the start of a good conversation. At least coming from the top and saying, guys, let's wear local made clothes is a good start. So at least now I think they're starting to to really pick up on it and starting to build um, that mindset of like buy into the local fashion industry.
1: So now, you know, for me, Wanjiko, one of the things that I look forward to is, and that's a very big step, you know, it, all these things, is always one little step at a time. It's better to move one inch or half an inch or 0.03 millimeters at than to be forward. exact, at least you're moving yeah. forward. That's why. So for me, my thing that I think, I, based on what you're saying, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, one of the things that I look forward to seeing is the uh sort of how we split up and how we we are able to pull out the what we call the tailors you know because the tailors are still a part of the value chain however you've got tailors and then you've got brands or designers and what happens or what i see especially when i was set up i was still I also when i got back from the us I, i i was set up as a brand in kenya from 2007 to 2010 and I felt the 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 i felt the miser i was miserable i mean generally, I was just a miserable person, and the reason this being is because of the fact that when you um sort of start to shift the mindsets of this consumer and the consumer now realizes that okay, fine we're going to start buying local or we're going to start, you know, we're going to start buying local a little bit, even if it's just a little bit at a time. And when they start buying local, there was two, what was our biggest or what was my biggest challenge or my biggest competition then was Mtumba, which has still not been banned. And the second one was the tailors. So what would happen is my tailors who were working for me would always go disappearing because they have so much work they've taken in, For sometimes even my own clients. So what happens is you might be building an industry in its entirety because at the end of the day, those tailors are still a part of the value chain, whether we like it or not. Um, However, I feel like uh, there would be a decline when it comes to the commercial aspects of how we grow commercially as fashion designers, as fashion brands, because if your tailor is taking half or three quarters i bet you they're taking three quarters of your business because they're charging a tenth of what you charge then it means that it it just feels like the industry is growing yes but commercially i don't know i just from an industry commercial angle i don't see i don't understand it i don't and i don't think it would develop the economy. And I don't think that if I sat down as a brand and said, this is my year one, year two, year three, or phase one, phase two, phase three, and this is phase three is where I should actually be getting ready to export. How are you going to be ready to export when Onyango, John, and Peter are all down the street making all of this? No, seriously, they're working. I mean, what I love is they're actually working and they're putting bread on their table. That's, that, that's why I say it's a very tricky situation. But at the end of the day, the way that I, where I'm supposed to be on my phase three, I'm not at. Because people are stuck on the same phase, because you're constantly looking. That's what happens. <laughs> then you've got to hire. I'm serious, and guys, for who who are listening, Hapatikani means you know when you call someone and and you can't reach them, and then they, you get that automated voice thing that tells you the caller you're trying to reach cannot be reached or something like that. But that's now in Swahili. But I'm just saying the the that indiscipline of the fashion industry on that level has a very big um I think very big effect on how we grow as a brand. how you grow as a brand. Yeah. No. You've got sure. a you've got I'm, a and you've got a store sorry. Chico, you've yeah. got a store. Do you have brands that are still complaining about the same thing I just said? Because I I mean obviously things have changed. That was like we're in twenty nineteen. We're literally getting into the new decade, but we, I might, what I'm saying that happened to me in 2007, 2008 and nine might still be happening to people. And I'm curious because if it is, then we have a problem and now we have to figure out what are we going to do to be able to change that, fix that. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So of course, 10 years ago, things were very different. Um, not that they've completely changed and everything is hunky dory (laughs) now, but I know that it's gotten better. So in the past, I think even the fashion industry in 2009, it was really still quite raw, you know. It hadn't, it hadn't yet grown into what it has become now. So even now the fashion industry changes, like every year there's something different. But with Taylors, um, I think what the brands, because the brands now that we have in, in, in the store, what they've managed to do, I think, is to, is to, is to really, it, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort to find people who will stay with you and and work for you and be able to consistently do the job. There's still times where I'll hear, ah, oh, this tailor dude has just disappeared and walked up and left. Or, you know, in the past also people used to the tailors used to make the item for a designer and then they would go make on the side for someone oh. else the exact same piece. Yeah, but that's now the worst. <laughs> <laughs> The thing worse is them just disappearing. You just call them and they're so be found. Or they tell you stories like, oh, you know, so and so, something has happened. I need to go up country. Then you just tell them goodbye. We'll see you. Maybe never. Um, but designers and the brands now, they're starting to really like hone in on people and train them and like really bring them into the company. So even when they work for the company, they stay in the company and they're able to now produce, but there are still challenges. It's not perfect. The big ones that have been doing it for many, many years, especially those who have like their leather, their leather brands and they have their factories and stuff. The small, small factories. Those have been able to, to retain people, but the element of retaining them, even for the designers now, sometimes it's an issue. Sometimes it's, they disappear, you know, because they don't have that, etiquette and training so i would imagine it's also um it's kind of like it's also a fight between the tailors like in the past when people were like oh i'm going for a- <laughs> i'll go talk to my tailor he'll make me a dress so you take him like something from a magazine you tell him make this thing he makes it but now the problem is taking those guys who are the ones who know how to sew and cut and pattern and all of that stuff And then bring them into your business some of them are like "Mm, i'll continue doing my same behaviors of disappearing maybe i'll do it maybe i won't whereas now getting people who are trained in the fashion industry who are trained to actually like do that pattern cutting and understand you're now coming to work in a company to do the work in that company for them it takes a lot more effort it's possible but it's it's uh it's it, it takes time because now we're trying to clear that mindset of the tailor mindset you know if you take a tailor from somewhere and tell them come and work for me he still has that mindset you have to still train 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 to get him to understand no no stay here girl did you not hear that
1: you can take them out of the hood but you can't take the hood out of them girl please but anyway we hope that we can take the hood out of them <laughs> listen but it's listen changes, when she you know. am yeah, yeah go go ahead. ahead. but even the brands
2: we have are starting to not starting they're doing well in being able to get a collection replenish and produce and replenish and produce so it's it's Without definitely any problems better. yeah it's, there's still hiccups but it's better yeah but it's manageable it it's manageable
1: and I, I have a question for you before we take this music break what why are you not in you know for your passion for fashion and your you know you really are passionate about it. i mean anyone can hear you or anyone can walk into your store or anyone can see you talk about fashion and know that this is someone who really cares about fashion why are you not a brand why did you why did you stay away from what we got ourselves <laughs> into six feet under and below <laughs> six oh, feet into
2: deep i i i love fashion and the business of it and i love the idea of creating a business that can support other businesses, so I'm not interested in designing. I couldn't sew a button if you asked me. Like if you told me to sew five buttons, I, that would take the whole day.
1: Um, but honey, fashion design doesn't mean you need to sew. I don't know how to sew either. Fashion, fashion is a business. You need to just yeah. get the right team to make sure everything's happening. I think,
2: yeah, I know I think at this point, I'm more interested in actually just finding the designers that are out there putting them in a place and then sharing it with the world rather than maybe later i might i don't know but i feel like every year there's so many designers that keep coming up i'm like there's no need they're doing great i just need to be that and then it doesn't create a conflict if i'm in the shop i'm not trying to promote one over the other because this is mine and that's another designer like i'm just like listen all of these things here are awesome so what's your taste do you like this or do you like this and then we just guide them but for me I'm I'm more interested in that in just finding great brands putting them in the shop, sharing it with people the customers buy it, they're happy I'm happy, we're all happy
1: Uh, Wow, so we are going to be rolling over to Edgy Benson with his echoes from New York Edgy, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us once again Uh, before we get into the matters at hand, you know the drill, who are you wearing and who made your clothes
0: Hey, Liz (laughs) How are you it's nice to be back on air um what am I wearing today? <laughs> I know you're gonna be disappointed as usual. I'm wearing diesel but I'm also wearing a city junk t-shirt and <laughs> a city junk pair of sneakers so I'm mixing it up a bit but you know me and diesel we have this thing going.
1: Gosh, you know, you and Diesel have this thing going, so I'm just going to not say anything today, and I'm just going to focus on moving on along. <laughs> Eji, thank you for joining us on the show. Now, today you've heard, as we've been touching base with Wanjiko uh, Nyoke of TDS, we've also been talking with Natalie and sort of unpacking this conversation But it comes to just understanding the current situation uh, in fashion. Uh, with a focus in Kenya, but overall, overall, we are trying to really touch on the East African um, market. Now, you as a manufacturer, uh, out of the three of us here today, I feel like this is something that you might be able to have more insights around. Now, when you look at the example of just the government of Kenya and how generally uh, investment friendly they've been, uh, you know, when you think about the reforms they enacted uh, to sort of simplify both foreign and local investments, including the creation of an export processing zone. Um, That export processing zone, as we all know, an increasingly significant portion of Kenya's foreign financial inflows are actually uh, remittances by non-resident Kenyans who work in the US, Middle East, Europe, Asia, whatever you name it. And we know for sure, based on a report, which was the last report, and like I said, I got a lot of information as well from TDS, thank God. Um, When we look at that last report, uh, with a GDP, Kenya's GDP of 0.6%. 0.6% is basically according to that latest report. um, And this report, as as much as we are talking 0.6%, Uh, Out of this, you've got 22 large foreign-owned companies who are operating in the export processing zone, we call it the EPZ. 170 medium and large companies, 8 generies, 8 spinners, 15 weaving and knitting companies, 9 accessories manufacturers, and over 75,000 micro and small companies including fashion designers and tailoring units. What is your take um, Edgy and let's be very honest about this and how is this going to work? Do you think that the EPZ and how they have set up is actually adding value to the local fashion industry or is it actually taking away value and taking away uh, maybe some attention that it might have given? To the local industry, when it comes to the textile and clothing, to be able to sort of change perceptions and to be able to also create a bigger impact. You talk to us, as you Talk to me.
0: I think it's really refreshing to see what the the Kenyan government is doing in terms of how they are supporting um, uh, foreign investment or encouraging it with the with the with the, uh, with the free trade zone. Um, I think. The, I think it's important for us to note that these zones are super important. I mean in my in my country in my town actually we have one. Uh, they tend to really help uh, Leo foreign foreign companies in because they ease up on you know the duties and clearances and all the all the bureaucracy around uh, around coming into a country as a foreign company um i think it's just a lot of the times for us in in the fashion game it's not sometimes we don't see the impact because a lot of these opportunities are snatched up by other other industries you know they just more they work faster at these things they they go after them more efficiently um but generally these are supposed to to really help us. They are supposed to bring value. Um, I don't think they take away anything really. Um, If anything, they allow other companies to come in and if, if African companies, African companies could learn, local companies could learn from foreign operators because they're sometimes more organized and we could learn things like that things we could learn organization and they're also coming with a with a bunch of resources in terms of sourcing and stuff so there's something there to be gained i think for me i think they're essential in terms of how we 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 are able to compete because uh, just standards are a big deal and these this zones tend to bring in foreign companies and these foreign companies tend to add to you know a, a surge in, in 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 our own standards you know so i think they add a lot a lot a lot of value um in the east african uh, space i'm sure that you know you guys i mean it, the east africans i'm sure It's the same as it is for us in West Africa. Um, These zones are super important. One of the areas in fashion that Africa has, Africa can really grow would be like, you know, just the processing of um, cotton, especially, you know, and I think that with the EPZs, you know, it'll be easy for uh, a meal from outside to come in and set up, you know, uh, set up um a fabric meal a fabric uh, processing meal in in a in an African country and you know with all the cotton we have um we could really be like a big source for for cotton based uh, items you know denim uh, canvas things even you know so many things that we could be a big source for you know but we need Expertise and involve foreign involvement in in processing our cotton instead of sending it out raw to different countries where it's processed and then resold to us as a product. You know, so I think the EPs is they they bring that kind of. Um, um they they have the ability to bring in foreign players like that so for me there will always be a a value add for me i feel like it is is add value i mean we're not utilizing them as much as we should i mean the one in my place i mean there's a a clothing store and stuff but i think we abuse it. It, it, it when you have a clothing store we should benefit from it when we are having like clothing processing, meaning a factory that makes clothes, a a mill that makes fabrics and stuff. So we could use the EPZs as actually a Leo for foreign investment, for foreign participation by us Africans. I mean, us Africans going out to to, to a foreign meal, a foreign factory and say, look, we have an APZ, we want to partner with you, let's do something in Africa, it's duty free, you know? So there, 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 there should be a big tool for us in the fashion game to, to bring in other people to come in and help the industry at home. Um, for me personally, on the manufacturing end, we've been thinking of setting up a denim meal in Africa, you know? And this, an EPZ is like the perfect place that we've been thinking of locating it, you know, just because of the machinery that you would bring, the equipment that you would need, uh, you know, all the, all the ancillary things that you would need, they would have to come from somewhere and then them being able to come in duty free would help a lot. So, yes, the EPs is just a huge, huge, huge thing. So, I congratulate the government for actually doing that and for encouraging it.
1: Thank you, Edgy. Hmm. Lots to talk about today. Um, Edgy, do you have any parting shots uh, or anything else you want to add on before we roll over to another favorite segment? You know which one's coming.
0: My parting shot on this would be like. If if Africa could build more EPZs, you know, and not just build them, but make them really, really effective, encourage the populations to to actually use them in a good way, you know. Tell the industries at home, look, guys, it's a free zone. Get your foreign investors or get your foreign partners in. Let's do some things. I think it's also educating the African public about what it is, you know, and and for us as fashion, fashion stakeholders, to say, look, there's a place here. How do we, how do we, how do we put our own foot in it? How do we, how do we, claim some part of it? You know, so I think that would be my parting shot. As fashion stakeholders, let's utilize these places. Let's maximize, um, and you know, help the government in in pursuing um the goals of of developing our our, developing our business through the epz's
1: all right guys we are back and we are talking yes we are back and we are talking uh everything around uh the currency too when it comes to fashion in east africa with a specific focus in kenya and we've been joined by really cool guests we're talking to wangiko nyoike mugo who's the founder of uh, the tds which is the designer studio we're also talking to her fashion correspondent, or TDS fashion correspondent, um, Natalie Kimani. And we're just talking and I hope that you guys are getting something out of it. If you want to reach out to us, please feel free to tweet um, on Fashion Lab AF. We are on Twitter on Fashion Lab AF. We are on Instagram and Facebook on Fashion Lab Africa. We definitely want to hear from you. So share your thoughts with us um, as we continue to sort of unpack uh, what's really going down when it comes to Kenya, fashion and everything about it. Now, Anjuka, I want to come back to you, and thank you so much for um, bringing this insight. You're very knowledgeable, by the way. I'm like, gosh, I could have been having four professionals here having the same conversation, but, you know, we're actually having it um, on, on our own. Let's talk about um, sort of the export-ready market. So for me, I'm curious about the local spend versus the market for export. Would we, you, let's start with the local spend. Would you say... Uh, As we continue to evolve, as time goes by, do you feel like there is um, an emergence of more local, uh, by local spenders who spend and actually enjoy the fashion? Spending local is one thing, enjoying it is another. And a lot of people do not buy what they don't enjoy. So let's talk about that.
2: Wow. Okay. Um, In terms of local spend, I would say... People are increasing their their spend on Kenyan products. So you can see it through um, the the increase of, of, of shops coming up, selling local brands, designers selling their, brand, their their products, even on Instagram, and people getting to know that more and more. Even the, what do we call them, fashion influencers, social media influencers are starting to even talk about it and be like, you know what, we should be wearing local brands. So they're ready to, to embrace that. So in terms of the spend um definitely from the shop for us we we can tell that that uh, Kenyans are ready Kenyans are buying local brands a lot more and they understand the quality are they many of them not that many um but they're definitely there and this is disregarding of course the economic situation or what you know has been happening in the country in terms of the economy which has been really tough so of course the spend has kind of reduced but when the when the economy is good, people are starting to spend and buy local and choose local. So even we can find people saying, listen, I'm going for a wedding or I'm going for a conference um, internationally and I want to wear Kenya. They'll even come to the shop and be like, find me something because I want to go and represent the country when I'm out there. So there is. There's definitely um, an increase in spend to buy local. But it's not... Um, it's not to the level where you have like fashion designers in the states who sell like an item for like three thousand dollars or something like that, and they have people who buy.
1: Not yet. Um, but can I ask? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. No. So it the spend is there, but I think people are still not dragging their just, feet. Yet kind of or they're still trying to fight spending so much money on something that's local and yet
1: why um, what is this about i'm getting so angry every time you say (laughs) (laughs) why what is what's wrong with locals should we get a new name for it or should we say it in french local Ah, local local I don't know. I think
2: and that's why I'm saying it comes from a, a history. So it's we're, we're convincing them more and more that it's there. But you see, at the same time, they're also very knowledgeable. They won't just spend on Kenyan designers just because you say it's a Kenyan designer. They will actually be like, okay, this is quality, it's different, I'll buy it. So we also have very smart consumers. They can't be fooled, and then you see they'll know I can buy Kenyan designer stuff for like a particular event or for something that where I need to be like you know stunner stunner. But if I'm gonna get a shirt to go to the gym, why am I gonna spend a lot of money? I'll just go buy from shop X that sells it at a thousand nine hundred bob. So they they can spend; they're just very conscious on how they spend their money, and because yeah, as, you know the world is is such a it's such a small place now. People travel, so you know. Quality. Tell me, when Uh huh. Go ahead. No, because there's still uh, this might be tricky, but there's still people who call themselves designers, but they haven't really gotten there yet. Um, to that level where you know, <laughs> girl, just say yes. it. Like, <laughs>
1: don't don't be scared, girl. Don't, don't be scared. I, no, because we ain't never scared.
2: Still, we're still in, oh, uh, working on it. There's still people who need to understand pricing and how you price your garments. It's not just saying I'm a designer so therefore my dress is now ten thousand, you know, without much thought to it. So there's there's still that understanding of how to price your 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 pieces and the consistency, the material, the sourcing. There's still a lot to learn. Even yeah, from but you,
1: Yes, but let's just agree that we all know and obviously also who you who are listening, you Banjikwa as well, everybody know that, you know, when it comes to the creative sector or just generally Out of all industries, the creative sector is the easiest one for people to wake up in the morning one day and say, I'm an artist, or I'm a musician, or I'm a designer, or I'm a blogger. How about the latest one? There was one that I'm a stylist. The stylist was the worst. Photographer, I, I yeah. The fashion influencer. Oh my god! If I hear that word one more time, I'll cringe. I'll fall over. But I'm just saying that it's a, it's it's good for us to know that there's always going to be wannabes. Um, you know, when it comes to this creative sector, there's also going to be there's definitely established creatives who are playing, and then there's those who are coming up who are really emerging and probably be the best but you know this is what it is it's it's this is what happens everybody say they are everything so we have to just be uh, aware of that and then you have to be able to smell the rats and then smell the fish and then smell whatever else you can smell so that you don't um you know you don't have to be exposed uh, exposed to it so you as a shop owner Wanjiko, could you tell could you just share with us i'm curious about some of the brands could you share with us some of the brands that you stock in the shop and why and why?
2: Okay, well, I'll I'll say generally the reason why I stock the brands that are in the shop is um, all the brands that are in the store have their own signature to their brand. They have their own voice. They have their own style. And there's a consistency in their production. There's a consistency in their in their style and in their their voice. So each brand stands on their own individually. So we have, for example, for jewelry, we have um, Kipato and Branded, Lakwetu and we have embody accessories and Wazawazi also has started um producing some some small accessories with brass but i can tell you that all those brands even though they're making brass jewelry they're all different so you have embody accessories is very bold it's very out there it's for the the woman who's not afraid to wear like a huge necklace and just go for coffee and then you have kipato that has like pieces you can blend that are stunning but they're not like super, they're not heavy they're not big and bulky but they're just they're, it's like for the timid person who just wants to be a little bit out there but not too much and then you have Lakwetu that, that has a very like, clean lines, um and things that, that you can wear to work and you can wear them every day I mean even Kitpato you can wear them to work and stuff but embodies like the bold woman you know so mm-hmm. each of them stand on their own and even for clothes there's different brands like for yourself your your aesthetic is completely different it's also for a bold woman who's not afraid to like you know show her body but also wear good quality stuff and then you mm. have uh, kiko romeo which is she's got like fit her fit is and it comes of course from her experience of like over 20 years in the fashion industry we have other brands like Icon, she's, she's just fresh, she brings in light things, things you can wear on the weekends, but you can also wear them, um, she has some suits for, for, for work, but she's mostly just very like fresh and flirty and, you know, that's her style. Um, we have Ashera, she also has, like she uses print, but hers is also quite, um, it's for the, the, the edgy woman, you know, who wears, who wears her pieces and can wear like a, you know like pants with lots of colors and you can still pull it off and then we Mm -hmm. have um well right now actually we're also stocking mandevo so that's a bit of a extra just for the men so you can dress well but you can also take care of your beard um we also have Equeta that does sandals the leather pure hundred percent leather sandals um trying to remember all the others. Galina does gowns, but she also has like her diffused collection for like just easy breezy type of designs. And then uh, yeah, I'm trying to go through the shop in my mind, trying to tell you all of them. But each of them have, they have their signature. They have like Wazawazi's leather products. I mean, you can tell Wazawazi from a mile away. Right? So it's not just, oh, she took leather, she put a strap and then she made a bag and she's selling it at like 20,000. There's design and thought and there's her character and her spirit and her vibe that goes through her bag. So those are some of the brands that we have and that's why we stock them. Mm.
1: And tell me something, would you mm, would you say that these brands are export ready?
2: Um, yes, I would. Um, export ready, there's a lot of other elements to it other than just um, the finish or the quantity or Mm-hmm. or uh, there are a lot of other elements to being export ready so export ready also includes you really have to know there's some yeah I would I would say that they are export ready actually
1: so for example <coughs> Wanjiko if you are for example to set up a shop in maybe three more shops um, one in the heart of um, of um, right there by maybe let's just say one in the heart of Tokyo one in the heart of Paris and one in the heart of New York and you wanted to put in brands. Which would you take? All these brand Would you, are these brands ready for the market? And when I say ready, obviously from a not from a logistics perspective, obviously that has to be worked. But generally, are they ready for the global market?
2: Yeah. Would I plug the store? and just pick it up from where it is and plug it somewhere else.
1: Hmm. Yes. With a with a with hope that it would actually bring back, and that it would be commercially viable for you. Yes.
2: Yes. And I, and I sometimes I think that it would actually be even more viable because the market out there for these types of products is really huge. Um, and I feel like they would appreciate something different and fresh and new. So I would, I vouch by all the designers who are on the shop. I would just take them and put them somewhere else.
1: What's oh, your well, take, oh, oh, the oh, the oh. mm-hmm.
2: Awanjiko? They're a bit tricky, but, you know, we, we, we learn and
0: we grow.
1: Let's talk about Ethiopia, for example. Now, the country has a target to generate 30 billion in exports from the textile and apparel sector by 2030. And the government has also been building these industrial parks. I don't know if you remember this Hawassa story, but, you know, to enhance the textile investment and productivity of the country. So Ethiopia, which is right above us, above Kenya, has actually attracted textile manufacturing giants like H&M, Primark even. Where is, yes, where is um, where is Kenya in this? The, the first thing I'm saying is the parks that the government in Ethiopia has been building, the whole situation with the Hawassa Park, the fact that there was a, what? These people are earning a mere $26 a month. And I'm like, listen, there is something called developing the economy, but you cannot forget, you cannot do this without paying attention to the people. The people are a part of the You can't, yeah. So, what's your take on this, and why why is it not Kenya? Because I've always felt, and I've always been questioning myself lately. And I'm not saying this is not a competition. It is that if Ethiopia can do it, why not the rest of the East Africa? I'm looking at Kenya, thinking Kenya should spearhead when it comes to some of these um, opportunities. I'm looking at Rwanda as what I call the ideal place in the continent (laughs) to be in, and probably the most progressive. Why is it that? you know, what would you say? Why is it that Kenya doesn't have these opportunities? Is it, what, what could it be?
2: Um, Top of mind, I would, I would, uh, Gander that the issues that we have with like bringing, importing things, the taxes, the port, the issues at the port is one of the biggest like problems.
1: But, but remember, we are talking export. So this is, this is, the two opportunities. The first one is to attract all of the big giants. As much as we have to take care of ourselves, business is business at the end of the day. And if we, if we have the infrastructure, obviously we need to take advantage of it and bring in all the giants. Why are all the big giants moving to Ethiopia? What happened there? There was something that happened. <laughs> obviously, unless, I don't know well, what happened. Unless okay.
2: we, well, they're questionable salaries for their people. Maybe there are other incentives that they're giving to people to come into the country to to go and pick Ethiopia over anyone else um, I, would, I would imagine that, I don't know the details I'll start there, but I would yeah. imagine that as a company coming in to, to produce and then sh- you know ship it out you want it to be easy, you want it to be quick you want it to have no issues about, you know, are you, do you have to establish or what company documents you need and all of that stuff, if it becomes too difficult to even get to the table then you'll find another table to go to. And maybe that's the situation.
1: So what are we going to do, Wanjika? Because it's great to be proud of what we have. It's great to make noise about it. It's great to highlight it. It's great to set up shop. It's All all of that is great. How are we going to smile to the bank? Because at the end of the day, this is the, the big question here. And I think for me, one of the things that I would say, or I would say is a bit of a trend now, is there's a lot of interest in the continent when it comes to the creative economy and there's always been but now we are finding that people actually want that you know people are putting in their money and people actually have taken it to a whole other level so what we should be doing is probably maybe paying attention to this and actually trying to profitize out of it while the fire and the energy and the buzz is still on fire Um, and I think that this is why when we say export ready if we don't open up I don't believe in keeping it, I, I believe that when we grow as brands or when you're building as a brand, um, especially in a world that is so globalized, I mean, like you can be in Tokyo, you in, can, can be in Tokyo on the day after tomorrow, you can be in New York tomorrow, you can be anywhere you have access. There's so much more access than it was in the past. Why are we not taking advantage or why do you think that a lot of brands are so happy just in the corner? Why are people not wanting to open up? Because opening up and being able to trade Globally, it's definitely gonna be way more profitable than sitting in the corner and counting your eggs and saying this is where you wanna be. Why do people wanna be in a corner when there's a whole world?
2: I don't think that they, yeah, I don't think that they voluntarily want to be in a corner. If we, first of all, the continent has incredible designers, so many. I wish I could just like yes. multiply my shop into twenty and put them in. Yes. But there are yes. really, really good designers who are coming out of this continent. Very many, and there'll be many more that are coming out. But we are also at a disadvantage because if you... Not a bad disadvantage that we should just give up, we should just recognize that we are young and accept that we are young, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at industries like the like the States and Europe, those guys have been doing the fashion, their fashion industries have been building for like a hundred years, right? So Mm -hmm. even brands like Chanel are so old already, but they've been doing it for a very long time. They have access to information, they have access to schools, like so many schools for you to learn how to, to to um become a designer, a photographer, a makeup artist, a stylist. You can literally go to a, a university and learn fashion and then specialize in visual merchandising. But if you go and tell anyone, I'm going to University of Nairobi and I want to be a visual visual merchandiser they would be like, first of all, what? Right? Because we mm-hmm. don't have I think it's going to take some time but it's and that's the reason why people are not going out there because we need more information we need more 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 equipment you know it shouldn't be so hard to go and find you know a brother sewing machine without it costing an arm and a leg right you should be able to to have access to buying material where you're not being told the price for a meter and you're like right so do i make one dress or three so all those challenges are the reasons why people are not so to speak making it in a corner because it's it's the tools are not so readily available even from a retail perspective you know it's it's things like even packaging are so hard to find i've struggled to find good consistent packaging and something as simple as that for retail or even retail decoration or Mannequins, like even to get mannequin heads, I had to go and look. I don't even know where in the middle of town, deep, 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 deep to find one. And those are the, the challenges that we need to overcome. So be it the government allowing for materials to come into the country without them costing an arm and a leg to provide subsidies for fashion designers who need to produce garments and they need material to do that and they need the tools to do that. Those are the things that will get people more confident. And the more we have education systems, the more we teach designers how to, to produce, the more we teach them about the business of fashion, because then that's how we will grow. But if you're just, you know, a, a student, you're, you're in University of Nairobi, you're studying some degree that you're not particularly happy with, and you're like, I want to get into fashion, there's not a lot out there for you to be like, yeah, let me go and do this and I'll get all the information I need and I'll be able to grow and soar into the world it's still there's still many pieces that that people need to get for them to have that confidence and that access to information and access to resources and accesses to material for them to now go but, I'm going to go out there but
1: now now my big question as we wrap up now when she goes who's going to do it because you know for me what I find is not, something's gonna have to change Who's going to do it? It's so easy for people to say the people, someone should do it. This should be done. Who's doing it? Who's going to do it? I think that for me, I feel like relying on the government, I don't think is a great idea. I think that the private sector, private investment is a big thing. All the big, big, big money boys get out, remove your pockets, open up your pockets. And then I think that for me, it's the structure creating a value chain that is going to be commercially viable and is going to be able to increase the GDP of where, Clothing and textile is right now for Kenya, considering everything else that Kenya has to offer, East Africa, is going to take a lot. And it's going to be, it's just going to involve different stakeholders being able to work from the back to say, okay, fine, what do we need to set up? Which, do we need to set up more shops? Is that what the problem is? Do we need to set up um, more finance, you know, like maybe a finance finance group? I don't know. You know how like with cooperative bank, I remember like back in the day, any farmers who wanted to farm, Wakulima, was it called Wakulima? Is it still, does it still exist? Yeah, but it's a cooperative bank, which is, yeah, and it strictly focuses on farmers. And if you want a loan, if you want a grant, if you want, you go to that bank. If you're farming, if you can show and prove, you get it. So I'm just saying to you, for me, I, be, I believe that the value chain is not big and is not strong enough. I also agree with you when you say uh, the industry is young. Young is beautiful. It is good. People shouldn't take it as a bad thing. It means we have room to fly and to do what we need to and do to, to get to the next level. Exactly. Yeah, to create so, ourselves. Yes. Wanjiko, I really want to thank you uh, for joining us on this show and for really just unpacking Uh, this conversation with us. Natalie I also want to thank you for also joining us for those who are tuned in you've been listening to the Fashion Lab and this is the show uh, that dissects the business behind fashion today we've literally been dissecting uh, sort of just uh, maybe just a glance at the current situation when it comes to the fashion industry in East Africa with a focus in Kenya uh, and we've really had a really um, insightful conversation I'm hoping you've got something out of this if nothing now Wanjiko um, before we move on to Finalize or to close up here, we are going to be moving into this new this next segment. Uh it's a very fun segment, and it's called uh your wine style guide. So it is me, you, and the rest, but we're gonna start with you. And basically, what this is when we say the wine style guide is what would be your tips uh to somebody who's who say, you know how everyone loves wine and then they go there and smudge their lipstick, they don't know how to hold the glass, and all of the bad things that happen when all of these fabulous people suddenly don't know how to do, how to experience wine. So, what would be your tip? I'll, you'll do yours and then I'll do mine. Like if you're drinking a red wine
2: and there's just a little bit mm-hmm. left, um, I would suggest that you finish it before you replenish your glass. And depending on if the wine is different, you actually rinse it because mm-hmm. the flavors change. Um, okay. That's fun.
1: Um, you 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 just need, one. <laughs> I just need one. But now I'm on a roll, Liz. <laughs> okay, like, go on the roll, Annie. <laughs> give me another one. <laughs> uh, what what what's another one? I would suggest <laughs>
2: not to go and drink red, white, red, white, red, white, like six to one, six yeah. six two, because of you know mixing might not necessarily do well in your body, and um yeah, the stem holding the the, the stem, not the glass, especially because mm-hmm. if it's if it's Your hand changes the temperature of the
0: wine Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you very much Um, Edgy, what is your wine style guide?
0: Well, like I said, I'm still learning so I've been reading up on on Tasting wine what to look for so So I'm supposed to be looking at a number of things like the look of the wine, you know the color the intensity of that color and then I'm supposed to be looking at, um, you know, the smell of it. What's the the aroma of the wine? And also, I should be looking at the taste of it. It's sweet, the acidity. So I'm I'm learning, you know, <laughs> I'm learning all of these components of of what it is like, what you need, what you're looking for when you're tasting wine, you know. <laughs> So, I'm still learning up.
1: <laughs> All right, guys. My wine style guide today is, you know how they say spit. I am like, please do not spit. Run away for your life if you see me. Do not spit that wine. Drink it and swallow it. Please, taste it and swallow it. Yeah, and I know that, you know, yes, people say, you know, oh, you know, you you know, it's what, it's about this, it's spitting or it's just tasting and I think spitting it is to me is the most disgusting thing that i have to sit in a wine tasting to look at happening yeah, yeah, yeah. please just like swallow it please it was all gonna kill you if you're driving then don't taste you know either swallow or don't taste <laughs> that's my policy that's the wine style guide today brought to you by you know who um and now we are rolling over to our fashion top three now when you go because it's um Between me and you, I think this is what we should do today. Fashion Lab top three basically is like normally a wrap up or like sort of a a fine, um, sort of fine tuning the conversation to come up with three top elements that sort of uh, your recap for the show that people can take away with them because a lot of times, sometimes people listen to the show and sometimes they just want to remember key things and sometimes listening to this show for two hours is not as easy as we think it is. So, yeah. I, will do, I will do one, you will do one, and then one of us can take the third. Is that fair? Okay. You can do one first or do you want me to do one? You start. Set the pace. Okay, so I think for me the first thing will be creative, uh, creating a competitive value chain. It's not there yet. That's my first. Wanjiko, do you? So let's just say, so let's just say buy local is our second yeah. thing. Yeah. buy local. But so,
0: you know, okay, do, I do, I and
1: our third? Buy local because it's, it's some people are oh yeah, it's just a cliché. No, it's okay, honey. They can do what they want. You can, they can pronounce. We can do it in French. A local. Uh-uh. <laughs> and then the third one, <laughs> we need one more. <laughs> One more. Um, one so more. many things. Oh. I will say. I will say one more, if mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. Um, explore the global market, because there is a global market. It doesn't mean that because you're a brand, you need to stay in the corner where you were born and raised. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that one. It doesn't, yeah. If it works for you, it works. If it doesn't, but explore it, at least explore it. Mm. The global export market, I'll even say that. So guys, this is Fashion Lab you've been listening to. And uh, we've been talking about uh, this situation right now when it comes to East Africa and just looking at it from uh, how we can move forward. And um, today on our Fashion Lab top three, the first is uh, creating a competitive value chain. The second one is buying local And the third one is explore the global market. Explore the global export market. Whether you're going to win in it or not, explore it. It doesn't cost you a thing. You're in the business anyway. But this is Fashion Lab. And um, we are very, very excited to get to the end of this point. (laughs) Because this has been a very heavy conversation. Wanjiko, your insights have been amazing. Uh, This last segment is called Who Would You Want to Dress and Why? So, ding, ling, ling. Wanjika, we're going to start with you. <laughs> Sorry, again. This last segment is if you were given the opportunity to dress anyone in the world, who would you dress? And why? The president. Who... Oh, okay, thank
2: you. And why? Uh, because I think he's actually quite funky. He has a funky style and I think he'd be open mm-hmm. to like trying new things. Hmm. And of course, put Kenyan designers on—you
0: know out there.
1: All right, very good edgy who would you want to
0: dress today who would i want to dress Well, you know it's winter here and this uh this week i want to dress my auntie uh it's getting really cold and i think i would like to put her in a cloak coat um she would love it so a red cloak coat um accessorized by um with, with a big bulky winter scarf <laughs> so yes my auntie is my muse this week
1: i today want to dress wanjiko how about that and oh. i Wanjiko I want to dress you in let me see what's in your shop that i that i think i want you to try on the bandage dress have you tried that on no but that would be cool i, I do that have your your black blue and
2: neon dress
1: love. i know but i don't want to dress you in that you already have that anyway i want to dress you in the bandage dress and some nice red heels and some red lipstick and just get out in the city and take the city off and paint it red or blue so awesome. that's who i want to dress today <laughs> and Thanks for too. those who are tuned in <laughs> yes for the for those who are tuned in today um Share with us your thoughts. We are on Twitter on Fashion Lab AF. We are on Instagram on Fashion Lab Africa and Facebook as well on Fashion Lab Africa. And um, for those of you also who want to sort of share, uh, you know, any extra inquiries, um, any information, if there's some shows that you think we should be dissecting in this lab that we haven't touched on, email us at info at fashionlabafrica.com. And everything else, if you're just rolling onto the show right now, you probably missed it. But you didn't miss a thing. So... You can also catch us on the podcast on fashionlabafrica.com. This is where we hold it down. Um, I'm hoping you've got something to take home with you, whatever it is, however way it will apply to your fashion business or just your love for fashion or just your curiosity around what's really happening in the continent. Here you go. Um, It's been really great. Thank you to our contributors. Edgy, thank you. Natalie and uh, Wanjiko, thank you for joining us as well. And, um, And yes, and until next week, it is Toodles!
0: Fashion Lab Africa Real conversations, real fashion